When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. Let's review the season finale of House of the Dragon, Episode 10, The Black Queen. Hello, movie friends. House of the Dragon Season 1 has come to an end. And my God, it was mind-blowing. It was insane. It lived up to all of my expectations. And I think it was a fantastic cliffhanger. Let's break it down and react, Jim. What a finale episode. My goodness, because episode nine, obviously, these are kind of sister episodes. The last two episodes were focused on the Greens and the Green Council. And then this is episode 10, the finale, focusing on the Blacks, the Black Council, basically, the Black Queen, Renera. I thought there were so many incredible moments. Obviously... It is filled with yet another birth, but miscarriage, unfortunately, for Renera. I mean, there had to have been 15 births shown on screen in this season. Is Quite a lot, it, yeah. Is a lot. And I love how they juxtapose that with battle planning of Damon to show really how much women suffer in this world, despite how powerful they are. They're kind of stuck in that bubble of only giving birth, but Renera is obviously breaking that ceiling. And the sign of a good te- television show is that I don't want it to be over. I didn't. I don't, I don't want to stop watching the show. I want there to be an episode next week, and it ended on a terrific cliffhanger. But I think that this really was Renera's episode. It was it was Renera and Damon's episode, and it really showed the complexity of their marriage. And yes, they're married and they love each other, and, and they're having children and they have a family. But still, they have very different perspectives on the world and different, very different ways of acting on conflicts. Renera seems to be taking a lot of pages out of her father's book. Viserys was a just king, but he was also a king of peace. Viserys the Peaceful. Viserys the Peaceful. And righteousness, he believed in. And I think Renera is taking a lot of those qualities to heart because in the council room, once she's um, thrown, um, named queen, now they have to come up with a plan of what are we going to do when the high towers and those Targaryens attack us. Her instinct is to not attack everyone in the council, whether it be Damon, uh, her other um, advisors, even Lord Corliss. They're all saying this act of treason can't stand. We need to attack. We need to do something. But she's remaining steadfast and patient and wise and trying to think out the situation. And I think that her strategy is really morally just where she she has this great line I can't remember it specifically, but she said, what's the point of... She just doesn't want to rule over a kingdom of ashes and bone. Well, because uh, Damon's talking about we have more dragons. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much men we ha- have or need. But And then she said that, I know the history books, when dragons go to war, there's nothing left but ash. They yeah. burn everything. Exactly. And this is, obviously, we saw an instance of this at the ga- end of Game of Thrones in the second to last episode when Daenerys burned down most of the city. And... I think it's really wise for her, even though Damon is well-read and well-versed on history and the the previous Targaryen rulers, I think that his love for war and his belief in violence to solve problems can cloud his judgment. And you can see the difference where he's like ready to fight. He pulls out his sword when Otto shows up and he just wants to battle it out. 
And it's a good thing that he isn't in power because it would have caused probably a terrible destructive battle right on this day. He pro- if he was in charge, he probably would have flown out there with everything he had and gone after King's Landing. But Rhaenyra, I think, is making a wise choice by taking her time and trying to come up with a different strategy. Figure out who her allies are before she goes to war, not just going to war because all the men around her are telling her, we must strike, we must strike, whereas she's the only one that's staying composed and being smart about the situation and trying to understand their hand and try to get the best hand going forward when they eventually probably have to go to war. But if there's a way to prevent war... She's going to try to because she was named heir by her father to be protector of the realm, not to bring destruction. I thought it was an incredible moment uh, when she was crowned. Obviously, the tragedy of the miscarriage of their, I think it was the son, I couldn't tell it looked like. And it strangled—it was strangled by its umbilical cord in the womb. Really, really tragic scene to have a miscarriage. It's pretty powerful to watch her give birth, to, give birth herself with no help, which yeah. is really strong scene for her and the character but then after the burning of the the child's body she is crowned in front of everyone around her those loyal to her at dragonstone and the crown was the one of the targaryen crowns was brought to her viserys's crown was brought to her by the twin the the eric cargill twin one of the twins I like how both the, yeah. twins have separate loyalties. Yeah, he's the one who helped Rhaenyssa out in the last episode. And, and I like how this episode is talking about with different knights and different people. Like, who do you swear loyalty to, fealty to? Are you, uh, did you, sw- you swore to allegiance to the rightful heirs in line of the throne? Do you still abide by that? Your, your former bending of the knee to Rhaenyra. And obviously, Damon's trying to figure out whose side is on theirs, who's on their side. And obviously, it was really cool to have one of these twins steal that crown and just be probably one of the most loyal servants of Rhaenyra at the time. And Damon shows his intense loyalty in the first half of this episode, how he will do anything to defend Rhaenyra and her right to the throne. Just kind of like you can assume Lord Corlys was when he was young, when Rhaenys was passed upon. But then we saw a darker side of Damon that you could probably say say that he's been ha- like a sleeping dragon inside of him. He's He's been more tame and more controlled and more... Uh, like level-headed Self-control. and yeah, and loyal towards Renera, but he lashed out and choked her in one of the scenes when she wouldn't attack King's Landing. That's why I think that Damon has always been, and even though he seems to be in a better headspace recently, the last half of the season, he is still a very dangerous person. Wild card, he, wild card. <laughs> I still think Damon. You know, George R. R. Martin calls him the Rogue Prince. He can be unpredictable. And he can be quite emotional and, and react erratically and selfishly. Um, he's an extremely strong person, but that strength can be used in the wrong way. And that's an example of that. And when and, and it ha- it's interesting how it happened because the whole council's there. The room is full. And then Renair is trying to figure out battle plan. And she and Damon begin arguing. And he basically speaks out of turn, like, Yes, they're married, but she's still the queen. And the way he's speaking to her is not the way anyone should speak to the queen. And so she wisely, rather than insult him in front of everyone, she does a, a like respectful thing and asks for the room to be cleared so they can speak privately. And her plan going into that private conversation is to basically chew him out and be like, I'm the queen. But he uses his dominance and his strength to take control of her which is really interesting. It was a really fascinating scene to see that even though she's the queen, he does have still some grip, no pun intended, on her. And some maybe that could be a, a, a problem with her where she might be under the control of him in the future where 
out of the fear of the threat of violence, or maybe he could even go further than that and threat, threaten the lives of her children, he might have some, some kind of foothold to control her and sway her in some way, which could be very worrying I for think the it's, marriage. It's one of the gr- great themes of the show and the great ironies of their relationship now where she's queen, but she still potentially could be under the control of a man, just like she has been her entire life, or how the women of the Empire always are under the control of men, despite the fact that they can sway the ruler's decisions, their king's decisions, they're still controlled by men. I think that's a great ironic theme here, even though she's the most powerful person, according to those loyal to her, he can still control her. Now, there's some great other moments in this movie. I loved... It's a show. I mean, the show. I love the, the Dragonstone table. Oh, that, man, what great They never design. lit it up like that in um, Game of Thrones, right? It was never like that. Maybe they because... Changed, they changed the design. Yeah. The, it was different in the new one. It was gorgeous yeah. when they lit the candles. That, they could have done a better job lighting those candles. The guy just took like There's that like, big, Yeah, he, that he was big, missing like, wicks all over the that place. Big, like honeycomb. <laughs> like, t- sl- slow it down, bro. Slow it down. You're missing some wicks. But the way it illuminated the... The entire map of the the of the kingdom and the countries and the cities and who are loyal to them and using their pawns. I thought it was really striking, really beautiful. It adds so much color to Dragonstone, which is such a dark, dreary place. And it, it made a, it cinematically was was a beautiful shot. Yeah, and it relates to the theme of fire. And also, I thought it was smart. The episode opened with a shot of Winterfell on the map. It was like a nod to the audience, like, guess what? Winterfell is going to come into this. We're yeah. obviously going at the beginning of season two because this this episode was left on such a huge climax where obviously we have Jaceris who goes to Storm's End to try to get, see who... See if Boris will be loyal to her, his yeah, mother. Because of the his father bang, bending the knee to Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. So remember the pledge of your father. And then Lucerus was going to Winterfell to the north... But we don't see what happened with him yet because this this episode and this season literally ended mid-mission of the boys because dragons are faster than ravens. So they decided to be act as messengers to find out who her allies are. Yeah, so we'll definitely see Winterfell in the opening scene of season two. And it was so... Like when Jake showed up at Storm's End and he basically parks his dragon <laughs> in the courtyard. But then in the distance we see Vagar rise and just silhouetted by the lightning from the storm. And it's like you, you could tell Vagar immediately, not just from her size, but also she's got like the the this thick throat that like hangs down like a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the easiest way to point out Vagar, and also just her just her just her gigantic size. And when Jake's looked looked at the distance of her, I was like, oh man, Amon's gonna be here. He's gonna be here. And then believe it or not, he walks into the throne room of not the throne room, but Boris's uh, main room and. Amon's already been there. He's probably been there for an hour or so talking about terms. And what's interesting is that uh, Otto Hightower is very smart, man. He's probably the best strategist that we have in this show because and this is the difference that sh- between Renera and Otto in terms of strategy. Renera just sent her son to remind Boris of his allegiance, whereas Otto sent his grandson to make an offer. And that's the big difference. You can see how Boris was insulted that Rhaenyra had made no offer to him, didn't promise him anything in terms of land or marriages or alliances, just like to honor his father's bending of the knee. And that's it. Whereas Aemon promised um, a marriage and lordship to his family and also, I think, some land as well. So Otto is a really brilliant strategist compared to Rhaenyra, who 
she doesn't see, feel like she needs to make a deal. It's like you need to trust your, you. Have, you need to stick to your honor of your family. And that obviously is not strong enough for Boris to immediately say yes to them. Yeah, that's a great point. And before we get to what actually happens with Jace, Jaceris, and Amund, let's talk about a really important character who we hadn't seen in a couple episodes. Lord Corliss is back. His fever has broken. He's back at Dragonstone. He's representing his entire fleet and his queen at the same time, Rhaenys. And you don't know who he's going to declare allegiance to at first. And know? oh, sorry to stop. It was really smart to show Rhaenys. She didn't, she didn't bow or kneel to Rhaenyra when she was queen. And she, she made no implication that her house would be loyal or pay fealty to them in any way. Because I, I think she was waiting for Corliss to to see what his perspective was. Exactly. And I love the conversation that Rhaenys and Corliss have where she accuses him of abandoning her and just seeking adventure at the sea to basically forget his woes. And he says, I lost everything. And she tells him that we lost everything. We lost our children. It's basically so, fences. Basically. <laughs> I was right here, right here with you. Actually, yeah, it's a really good point. It's, it's very similar to 15 fences. years! <laughs> what about me? You think I want to be trapped here with you? <laughs> Great movie. Denzel is awesome. Um, and Lord Corliss, he comes to the council with his cane. He's healthy again, and he's figuring out and, and wants to understand what Rhaenyra's strategy is going forward with the Greens. Well, first, he, he tells Rhaenys, let's abandon any kind oh, of yeah, allegiance yeah. to anyone. Let's not go to war. Let's just go home and be a family. Not declare anything, yeah. and we'll so, just yeah. raise our grandkids. But then Rhaenys cleverly tells him and, and correctly tells him that your grandchildren and everyone in your family will be in danger if no matter how long Aemon's king, they will come for your children. Yeah, Rhaenyra is the only way to protect us. Which shows the true loyalty that Lord Corliss has to his family, even though he knows that the kids aren't his blood, but he still is strikingly and, and wildly loyal to them, especially Jaceris, who he was prepping to be the new Lord of the Sea for, for Driftmark. He was going to inherit it. Now Lord Corliss goes to the table. He's questioning Rhaenyra about everything. And we don't know who he's going to declare to. And then he pledges his allegiance to Rhaenyra with his fleet. But not only that, but he also took control of the stepping stones. That's what took him six years to get back. They have complete control of it, meaning that they have control over the sea, which they can cut off trade and travel from to King's Landing and basically kind of strangle them and choke them of resources and travel in in this upcoming war. And that was like, that's a big win for Rhaenyra's side. To the have narrow that. sea. Yeah, to be able to block trade and block sea travel is huge. And they end up, because of that, everyone's like, oh, we could actually ha have a chance here. Yeah, because the whole episode is like, wow, Rhaenyra has nothing. They have a couple of allies. That's about it. But yeah. they are outgunned. But not anymore. And also, even though Damon keeps saying they have more dragons, most of them have never battled, and most of them aren't even trained for battle. And then we see later in the episode how difficult it can be to control a dragon. The thing with dragons and Targaryens is there is, like, a connection. It's not quite like Avatar, where they make that actual bond and they can physically move how the Avatar thinks. There, But there is an emotional and kind of a mental connection between a Targaryen rider and their dragon if they're well-trained. Um, but we see an instance in this episode because I think the kids are so young still, they don't have a quite a strong grip on the dragons. And you see the connection, like when Rhaenyra's, um, in trial, childbirth, we get cuts of her dragon who's also screaming in pain and agony. And then also 
There's instances where the dragon will do things that the character wants them to do without even speaking. Because there is a kind of connection between a dragon and their rider. But plus, it's also difficult to keep that bond, though. Plus, a lot of their dragons aren't even mature yet. They're like teenage dragons. Like, clearly, Jocerus's dragon is fully grown. When, he, when he's flying and Vagar is on screen behind it, you can Above see... Above it in the yeah, clouds. Yeah, the, the size of Vagar is unbelievable. It was a great, great scene. Now, after Lord Corliss pledges allegiance, Renera needs to find out who her allies are, and they're going to send ravens. But the boys... Uh, Lucerus and Jocerus offer to fly themselves because it's much faster on Dragonback. And it's more a, impactful. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a, it's a better uh, arrival when you park your dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Leaves a message. And so they take off. Again, Jocerus goes to Storm's End. Lucerus goes to Winterfell, who we don't see what happens in the season. And as we talked about earlier, Aemon's already at Storm's End. He tries to attack Jocerus and wants an eye for an eye, and we finally get the reveal of what's beneath his eye mask, and it's a, a blue jewels inside of there, which is yeah, so it cool. Looks great. It looks creepy as hell. And if it wasn't for Boris, you know, acting quickly and protecting Jocerus to get to his dragon, you can assume that Amon would have definitely attacked and probably taken an eye from Jocerus. But you know the storm's happening. Jocerus is taking off on Arax. And when, and when you see Vagar's gone... Exactly. Then you're like, oh, crap. This is not good. And clearly, Amon did not want to kill Jocerus. He probably just wanted to scare him. He's messing with them. They're cousins. They, they've had this rivalry for years, their entire lives. He just wants to probably scare him or hurt him. And like Anthony was talking about earlier, these young Targaryens and Valarians, they don't have con- full control over their dragons. Even Jocerus can't fully control his dragon. And Amon's tormenting Jocerus and his dragon in the air with Vagar. They're attacking him, and they're hiding out in those caverns. And then Jocerus's dragon, his name's Arix, right? Yeah. He blasts Vagar in the face. Out of control because you heard um, Jocerus saying, serve me, serve me. So, yeah. So, the Aemon's, uh, Aemon in t- like created this instigation amongst the dragons, and the, and the dragons got so riled up, they, for, they were dismissive of their riders and basically did what they wanted to do instead of following the orders of their riders and then vagar out of command of without the commands of amond takes a massive bite out oh of my god Arex and jacerus and killed jacerus and the Man. look on amond's face is what the hell have i done yeah it was an incredible ending for that scene and, and then the memes so were good. the memes were amazing the I, michael scott meme the the girl who posted it on twitter Genius, yeah. It was, it was, it was Bridget like, something, yeah. She, some random Twitter user, and it blew, she got like a million reshares. It's unbelievable. It's, the, it's one of the best memes I've seen of the year. It's, it's great. That 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 uh, shot of Michael Scott where he's like clenching his teeth, Clint, like like cringe face, and then she drew an eye patch on him. <laughs> it's so it, was, it was genius, and it's amazing how fast the Twitter users are with memes. Like, it was like two minutes after. Like the I ending. got sent that meme right right when we finished the episode. Someone sent that to me. I was internet, like, wow, it's dude, been like three minutes. The internet's so funny sometimes. It's gr- people, like people are so clever. That might be the meme of the year honestly and this ends with a terrific villain origin story where <laughs> Renera, who wanted to go about things peacefully now she's told the news of Jocerus's death we assume by Damon we don't hear the dialogue but that's what we can assume yeah. happened as she's looking to the fire she almost collapses in pain and then she turns to the camera and has a look on her face that we've never seen before where she wants vengeance and blood we've seen it on someone else's face though 
Daenerys has had that look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She's going to make it rain fire. So, yeah, we're going to be into all-out war. So, I love this I love this show because they have been saved. They haven't been, like, going right into lots of violence, lots of battles. I mean, there's been violence, but not, like, huge battles and extravagance. I like how they've been super subtle and modest with, you know, what they could do. And they've been saving. It's all just been a slow build up to the war, and we've had small battles and not and a tiny war. We saw in the first couple episodes, but that wasn't really an all out war. But I think the second season it's going to be insane, and we're going to have lots of big battles, lots of huge scale wars. I think the HBO Max and Warner Brothers. I guarantee you, because of the success of the show, and it is wildly successful, not just in America but around the world. They're gonna put a lot more money into the into this show because they didn't even re- renew it until they wanted to wait for the streaming numbers. They the f- are absurd. The yeah. numbers, yeah. But so once the first um, once the first episode aired and they got the numbers, they greenlit the second season. So I think that they were just waiting to see like what's it gonna do. And now with the confidence they probably have with the viewership of the show, they're probably gonna increase the, the budget by a lot so that they'll be able to really showcase the scale of this war. Yeah, this show is absurdly popular. The ratings are off the charts and they just keep growing and growing. Whereas its rival Rings of Power, there's like a 40-50% drop between like season one, se- I mean episode one to two to three. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people are tuning out from that after the few, first few episodes, but more and more people are tuning into how the dragon and it's crazy and unfortunately we have to wait two years Man. they don't even start filming until 2023 because they ju- they just greenlit it a month or two yeah. months ago so, so I, I think but obviously the scale is going to be huge because we're finally getting into the war and we'll just have to be patient and wait two years was game of thrones every year every season it was um Except for that was like more of like a season, Harry, season eight, I think had a two year gap. That was kind of like Harry Potter, where they were like living on the locations yeah. and sets for like years, and like they were just filming constantly. Yeah, and they weren't they weren't huge CGI fests in the first few seasons. They were doing just a lot of simple location work, and there weren't that many huge scale scenes, like huge battles. But when they were getting to season season seven and eight, then there were larger larger gaps. I believe the gap between seven and eight was about two years like that. It feels like that. Now, I will say, I did have a con to this episode and in general this series. Otherwise, I, I thought it was a phenomenal TV season. It was so good. When Jaceris died, I didn't really care about his death. I felt more of the impact it would have on Renera than on Jaceris. I think the kids... They didn't have much development in terms of the Valarian children with Jaceris, Lacerus, Lena, Baina. I, I didn't really feel much for Jaceris when he died. The most screen time he had was the beginning of this episode before he took flight. And while he, he finally like had scenes by himself, anytime we saw the boys, it was either they were training or they were being spoken to by their mother or like with a family gathering. They never yeah. had like solo scenes. They never got like much character development. So that's why I thought it was an incredibly impactful and emotional moment when he got killed by Aemon, obviously, but more for the repercussions of the actions rather than like when Rob Stark gets killed, where I'm like, oh my God, Rob and his family are dead and his yeah. wife are, are killed. And I didn't really feel the impact for Jaceris. More of the impact I felt was for Renera. That's a great point because also factor in that it's been two different actors to play that character, but also there are no scenes with the kids amongst themselves. 
There's a like then when the dragons, except for that the scene, fight, just that the one scene. scene. That's the only scene. But you're right. They, I think it would. Whenever they're they're yeah. fighting with the swords, they're training. They're surrounded by like yeah. Kristen Cole and people. Yeah. But like just alone, even just the two Targaryen boys, the two uh, Valarian boys, the two Valar- Valarian boys. Like I don't even think they have a scene just them two by themselves. Yeah, it's it's. I totally agree because in Game of Thrones there were a lot of young characters and there were plenty of scenes with just like one or two of them or three of them interacting and that's it. So I think there could have been a lot more character development for the kids to make that death more impactful. So I totally agree. Especially Jason Luke, Jaceris and Luceris. Yeah. Again, like I like we'll probably get a lot more Luceris if he survives Winterfell. <laughs> like I don't even know what any of their interests are. What's their favorite color? Yeah, uh, things like yeah. Jaceris and Luceris, I felt nothing. Like these Valarian kids, they, they seem like nice kids and they seem more honorable than the Targar- Targaryens over on the other side. I mean, not the Targaryens, the Hightower children. Sorry. They're, they're yeah, Targaryens. Targaryens. Sorry. Yeah, Targaryens. They're, they're Viserys' kids. You're right. Grand Viserys. Kids. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he, he sired them. Too many kids. Because of the Luceris and Viserys, it's confusing because they're Valarian, but if they take the throne, they're Targaryen. Yeah. That's it. But no, I, I totally agree. I think that the show could have done a better job of establishing, you know, character within the kids. Rather than like, oh, he got eaten. Yeah. Sucks. <laughs> Sucks to suck, bro. Sucks to be Renera. It was crazy, though. It was so it cool. Was insane. It was shocking as hell. I loved it. It was um, a great. It was a great scene. I think it, it was one of the best scenes of the of the show. It was what a cliffhanger! A we have to wait two years to figure out whether Lucerus is going to survive Winterfell. God damn it! I think it. he will. I think definitely. probably. Yeah, because I mean, who else? I mean, who would they send? Who would to they send Winterfell? to Winterfell? The, who the, has a dragon? Yeah, the Green Targaryens. Um, I don't, I don't think they would have sent anyone to Winterfell. And obviously, Aemon probably wouldn't go by himself. Yeah, so I think that... I, I mean, Aegon wouldn't go by and himself. And also, what's interesting is Renera tells him that the Lord of Winterfell is actually around his age. So he's a young lord as well. So I'm I'm very curious who they're going to get to play that act, to play that character. I think the Starks, being so famous for fans of the show, got to have a, a sizable role in the next uh, yeah. season. I think you're right. I think it will open with, like, beautiful shots of, like, Winterfell. Winterfell. And, and the winter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> lots Winter's of, always coming, Lots man. of wolves. We yeah. got some some animal skin jackets. Oh, I can't wait to see <laughs> them, man. Some fur jackets. They, yeah, it's gonna, they have all the costumes. They're just going to pull them out of the closet. Maybe they're just yeah. going to have a bunch of, like, eight new great Starks, and that'll be season two, like, Starks going crazy. People love Starks, man. How Stark is the best. Cool. All right, that wraps our finale recap and review of House of the Dragon. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. We really hope you enjoyed this show as much as we do. It's the best show on TV right now, I think. It was such a phenomenal season. I had a blast watching it, and every episode left me on the edge of my seat. Incredible production, great characters. Can't wait for season two in two years. Yeah, and, and kudos to Miguel Sapaknik, the uh, showrunner of the sh- of the season. He did a phenomenal job adapting the stories into the television yeah. format. He like he was the spearhead and the runner of the show. Wrote, wrote in, the first few episodes. Yeah, he knocked it out of the, the park. Yeah. And I think he's leaving the He production. left the show. Yeah, I think it was too intense. Of a, it was like three years. Yeah. And he also worked on Game of Thrones for some time. He's probably going to make a movie or something. Yeah, so I think he wants to do other things. But he did a remarkable job with the show. Yeah, really great. Uh, all right, thanks for tuning in. Winter's coming in two years. <laughs> see, you in, <laughs> see you in two years. <laughs> We're actually not going to have any episodes until then. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Anis. We need a break, okay? <laughs> Raiders of the Lost podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.